Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The next round of the ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups launches on Monday, October 14th. If you're interested in joining, go to www.adhdessentials.com slash parentgroups or email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. That way you can sign up for a free information session to learn more about how they work. Registration will close October 4th. Coming up on Tuesday, September 10th, you can join me, Eric Tivers of ADHD Rewired, and the one and only Jessica McCabe of How to ADHD from YouTube for this month's ADHD Rewired Q&A. Go to www.adhdrewired.com events to register and make sure you bring whatever questions you need answered. Finally, since today's episode is about gaming, specifically Dungeons and Dragons, I thought I would let you know about my buddy Ryan's weekly newsletter, Burn the Tavern Down. In it, he shares tips, ideas, and news about all things related to tabletop and role-playing games. Check it out at burnthetaverndown.com. All of those links, of course, are in the show notes. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Matt Fay. Matt is a licensed mental health counselor based in Florida. He began his quest to better understand the human condition as an anthropologist, spending a number of years exploring and working on archaeological sites. Eight years ago, however, he shifted his focus to mental health counseling. And now, he's married his two passions and uses his anthropology knowledge and counseling skills to run therapeutic games of Dungeons & Dragons for his clients. In today's episode, we talk about what Dungeons & Dragons is, how Matt uses it as a therapeutic tool to help the kids he works with develop social skills, problem-solving skills, and even gain greater insights into themselves. We also talk about the roots of this approach in classic psychological approaches, and Matt shares with us the tale of one of the times when the clients in one of his groups helped Boogers the Goblin learn coping strategies to better manage his anxiety. All right, let's get rolling. So I'm Matt Fay. I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida. I have a background in anthropology, archaeology, and uh, history. I've been using Dungeons and Dragons as therapy for a little over two years now. I have one campaign that the kids have been playing with me uh, for two years. And a campaign is just the overarching story of multiple games in a row. In this case, two years worth of games. Yeah. So it's two years of, of playing uh, through a story arc. So we've, we've played a few different story arcs, but these characters just move into a new story arc. Part of the way Dungeons and Dragons works and I'll probably start saying D&D moving forward, listeners, just bear with us, um, is the characters advance in levels, which sort of like a video game. They get more powerful. They get more things they can do as they advance in levels. So two years, that's a lot of advancement for these kids. Yeah, and that's, that's part of the game too, is 
Um, I always tell the kids and parents, take all of your role play video games you've ever seen or ever been part of, and all of that comes from D&D. All those rules, the idea of hit points, all that stuff kind of came from there. And right. so the difference in D&D is there's no computer that's going to do the math equation for you on the percentile for the the treasure rate drop or if you killed the monster. So you have to do all that math yourself and you have to do all the calculations. And so it's it's a game, but you do a lot of the work. Mm -hmm. Right, and, yeah. Including yeah. the imagination side of it because if you're sitting across a table from someone and they say, there's a red dragon looming ahead of you, it turns and breathes flame you have to picture that on your own. You don't just get to look at a computer screen and see the red dragon. Right. So there's there's that. There's the um, fact that I'm telling the story a bit, but so are the players. So all the players get to determine what they want to do. And so that's the other part that's different than a video game is you're not held in constraints uh, and told this is, this is the railroad you're going on and you can't veer. Um, when you play Dungeons and Dragons, you can really just kind of go anywhere in a story. And so it's really a collaborative storytelling process that has rules, but the rules are only to help you get through the story. In case my listeners don't know, I also run Dungeons and Dragons games. I typically run once a month with friends. I'm not using it as a therapeutic tool, although theoretically I could, I just don't. But it, it, there's some unique qualities to this game that we probably need to explain as we go. And we're front loading some stuff right now. I'm going to do my best to listen as Matt describes things and sort of jump in with whatever shop talk happens. I apologize in advance if I miss something because like Matt, I've been using this sh shorthand vocabulary for well over 20 years. So I might miss something. I'm going to do my best. But that collaborative storytelling part of the game is really critical to understanding the therapeutic aspect of it, I would imagine. Uh, absolutely. So the idea, um, first off, is is as a therapist, what I kind of hang my hat on as the main form is that I, I tend to use a system of gamification, right? And that that's the idea that we can take things that normally would be hard for us to do, and we can make them a little bit more fun and turn them into a puzzle uh, or turn them into a game to do them. Mm -hmm. And we're much more motivated by that than being like, well, you know, I need you to just correct your negative thoughts. And every time you, you have a negative thought and you have a distortion in your thinking, I need you to figure out what kind of distortion it is and then replace the negative thought with a more positive thought. When you say distortion in your thinking, what do you mean by that? So that's basic cognitive behavioral um, therapy. Mm -hmm. And a distortion, there's a set number of cognitive distortions that are pretty common for everyone. And one of them is called black or white thinking. Either everything is right or something is wrong. You know, um, It is either yes or no. So a lot of people will take things and they'll just throw them in a binary camp. And that's a common distortion for people to have. And so if I have a client that has that distortion, we'll talk about it and I'll be like, okay, when you have a thought that's like that, I want you to remember that it's a black or white thinking distortion. And then I want you to try to think of, is this more complex? And how could I actually approach this? So the really simple one, Professor Amen, he, he 
does a certain prescription of, of mental health theory, he calls them ants. They're automatic negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. I, when I heard that one, I was like, that's kind of cool. I can see that appeals to kids. And so he calls it species of ant. So you might have a species of ant that's black or white. So you have a black or white ant. And then you're just going to replace that ant, that automatic negative thought. And so just by taking it that way is another step into it being a story. But then I met someone and they taught me a better way. And this one's called witching. You literally take your negative thought and you turn it into an evil character in the story. And so it suddenly becomes Helga, the witch, you know, the hag that lives out in the swamp. Um, And that might be uh, a thought that a common negative thought would be dismissing the good. And Helga dismisses all the good thoughts about myself. And so whenever Helga shows up and she dismisses the good, you can be like, oh, I know how to defeat Helga. And you shoot your plus two bow at her inside of your mind. Okay. But it's the idea that you can, you can take something that is really boring <laughs> and you can turn it into a little bit more fun and people will tend to gravitate toward it and it sticks better. And so the kids that I talk to and I'm like, this is cognitive behavioral therapy and we're going to get rid of these distortions. And you're going, eh, it's Helga. And, and when Helga shows up, I want you to shoot the bow inside of your mind at her and chase her away. And mm-hmm. so that's gamification. The idea that you're going to change things over in a way that they're a little bit more fun. That's similar to something that I do with my clients where I have them. I talk about how we all have that voice in our head. That's those negative distortions, that negative voice. That's you're not good enough. You're never going to succeed. You're going to wind up alone, dead in a ditch somewhere, penniless, right? All of which are cognitive distortions. I often tell my clients to give that voice a name, a name you don't like. I have not met too many Zacks whose company I enjoyed, so mine is named Zach. For me, when that voice starts yammering at me, I'm like, okay, that, thank you, Zach. That's it's nice of you to contribute, but I don't need to listen to that. Same kind of concept. I'm not shooting a plus two yeah. magic bow at him, but that firing of an imaginary arrow at, at Helga or at Zach or whoever it may be is powerful, especially for kids. Because it's more imaginative, because there's more of a story hiding inside of that. It's a little bit more enjoyable. The other thing is like inside this game, we'll probably get more into the game as we go. Um, It's hard to explain both. Mm -hmm. The first thing about this game is you are playing uh, a character. Everything about the character is written out on a sheet of paper. That's called your character sheet. And all the players have their character sheets. And in that character, you get to to choose to be someone that you'd never normally be. Yeah. So you get to you get to practice doing things that you normally wouldn't get to practice. You get to be in scenarios that maybe in the past you failed at, but you want to improve at. Um and each of these characters, there's a few different layers to them. Right. And almost all of them are archetypes of some sort. So there's like the paladin who's sort of that righteous warrior guy and then there's a fighter that's maybe less righteous but still still a warrior right and there's a wizard you can be a rogue which is pretty much like a sneaky thief kind of character there's um like druids and nature type stuff there's clerics if you want to go the religious direction and in addition to that there's different races that you can play so elves and dwarves and humans and hobbits and stuff pretty heavily out of the lord of the rings there's some other stuff that's been added later but most of it's pretty lord of the rings heavy and those different elements combine to form your character these different archetypes come together to create the character that you're going to play 
and there's background stuff too. So your character could have literally been a candlestick maker before they went off traipsing to uh, defeat dragons. Or a butcher or a baker. Right, yeah. Yeah, a lot of it's, they could have been an actor and choose to be a bard as their character class. So, and there's a difference between what your background is um, before you became an adventurer and then what type of adventurer you are. So we were just saying the character classes are your job as an adventurer is the way to put it. So you get to be something fantastical, right? You, you get to be larger than life almost. You get to be the hero in your own like little movie that you're playing with, with your friends. So in that, there's this concept that kind of comes out of acting and it's the idea of bleed. When you as a person kind of, and your, your problems bleed into the game, then that's called bleed in. So if I run a scenario where these orcs are bullying people in a town, right? They're shaking them down. They're trying to get the people to give them their money. Um, and one of the kids that's been recently bullied uh, really just gets upset at this, right? And, and kind of takes it to where he's just gonna wipe these bullies out and doesn't only like start to hurt the bullies, but makes it like a real point to like try to kill them all. And some of the other kids, it might be a paladin, like maybe one of the paladins. It's like, we don't just kill, we stop them and we'll have, take them to the sheriff. You have the kid that normally wouldn't do that, but they're, maybe they're playing the cleric. Maybe they're the good one that shouldn't do this. They're like, nope, we're going to kill them all. <laughs> they're all going to go down. You might be getting some bleed in. So, so what happened in their real life might be bleeding into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have what's bleeding out. So bleed out is when things that you learn in the game kind of start, you start taking with you into the real world. So you take a little bit out of the game back into who you are. This can be good. This can be bad. Generally, what I'm shooting for, of course, is good, right? You might have someone that they need to work on their skills with bullies, and and they need to work on their ability to reach out and ask for help because they're not willing to go tell a teacher, or they're not willing to tell their friends, so they're not willing to maybe go make friends with a kid that would go tell, right? Um, I just got back from a session about this. This is where I was like half an hour ago. Okay. And, and so we talked about maybe making friends with one of the kids that are brave enough to go tell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so when you, you'll go stop a fight if someone's picking on somebody and then the bullies start bullying you. And he's like, well, yeah, I'd never let them bully anybody. I'm like, okay. I was like, but when you get bullied, where are they at? He's like, they leave. Oh. Right. And I'm like, so that's not real cool. Right. He's like, no, that's not cool. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, so I think you need to work on maybe making a friend with somebody that's willing to at least stay around for moral support, you know, <laughs> like, right, yeah. like, or go walk off and tell the teacher. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know those kids. I, I just, I don't know. He's like, maybe that, that makes sense. They, they would go and help me out. And I'm like, yeah, you need to go make friends with kids that are brave like you. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of get that bleed out if you have that story arc to talk about, because me and him have been through that in the game too, where, where he's been in scenarios where he was on his own fight and, you know, I had to kind of like slow the game down a minute. And I was like, you, you should try to contact the rest of the party. Like you left the party back at the tavern. You should, you know, try to see what you can do to get the party to come help you. And 
he tried to go a little bit more on his own before he was like, oh, I have, I have a pet that could go back for me because it's, it's a sentient cat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, why don't you do that? So he rolled to get his cat to, to go do that for him. And it brought his friends and his friends came and saved him. So we had, that was what initiated that dialogue tonight in that, that session was we had that dialogue to talk about, about, you know, well, where's your cat, man? <laughs> like, like when you're in school and you're getting bullied, where's, where's the cat at? And so he was like, you know, I, I probably do need friends that would go and tell and, and get, get the rest of the team to come save me. Right. So that's, that's when you get something to bleed out from the game. Cool. And that's, yeah. that's one of the great things about D and D is as the DM, the person who's telling the, bigger story and not playing a character in the story as the storyteller as the dungeon master as the which is the sort of official name or game master depending on what game you're doing you can create whatever scenario you need to create so if you know a kid is having issues with bullying you can sort of throw that scenario into the game absolutely and give them the opportunity to play with it a little bit yeah yeah and i i do i mean i'll i'll even change arcs a bit uh, depending on the content I need, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I did a really great arc recently for a girl that she really needed to work out some, some issues she had with her father. There was some abandonment and she never speaks about it and she doesn't address the issue even when talked to like, and that was the concern, um, of the mother. And so I started a whole story arc based off of one of the most influential video games of Dungeons and Dragons. So all the real nerds listening to this podcast uh, are going to instantly know it's Baldur's Gate, Uh um, the Throne of Ball series, right? So I let her roll. I let all my kids roll because I'm a big nerd of that game. And I let them all roll to see if they're a ball spawn. Mm -hmm. And she, before I even thought about using that content, she rolled a 99 out of 100. And so I'm like, okay, you're a ball spawn. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. (laughs) <laughs> so when the mom like told me this is exactly what I want to work on, I was like, I kind of was like, that's some really heady stuff coming out of that content because the storyline is you were the child of the god of murder. Because that's what a ball spawn is. That's what a ball spawn is. Ball is the god of murder in, in uh, Forgotten Realms. It's it's a world that you can play in in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So it's a spooky storyline. It's kind of it's kind of very adult at parts, but I. I, I tried some other things. I didn't really didn't really hit home with her and finally started the storyline and she just loves it. She she loves the storyline, she loves her character, she loves what's going on there. And we're really having that discussion about you don't have to be just who your parents are and you can make some choices about what you do with the legacy that they leave you. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the throne of ball is all about. You could you could choose to be evil like he was and gain power that way, or you can choose to defy it and make your own choices to become good. Right. Change his power that he's leaving you for the, the choice of good. And so she, she's told her mom that she likes, to, she likes to experiment and play with the darkness that is put before her because she's given some dark choices mm-hmm. with that storyline. Um, she's like, but then when it comes to it, she's like, I always choose good because it always feels what's right. You know, and, th- and there's there's no pressure from me to go either way, mm-hmm. but the growth has been consistent along that arc that she's always choosing her friends. Her friends are always choosing to back her up. And when 
I finally asked her if she felt like any of this had anything to do with anything in her life. She just did never had really put it together. And I, I was like, okay, do you see how there's a concern? She's like, yeah, I see that. I could see where my mom would be nervous because I never talk about it. Like she knew right off the bat. She was like, yeah, I never talk about it. And she's like, but in the game, it's been really neat because I've gotten to play with all this stuff and it's just a game and there's no, I'm not risking anything. Yeah, and that's one of the amazing things about D&D. And, and certainly, I'm not encouraging parents to go and try to like use D&D at home as a therapy for their kids. That's not what this is about. But there may be a clinician in your area who's doing that. And if you elect to play D&D with your kids, there are values in the game. There are um, benefits to the game that can go into that direction. And also stuff that's less heady than navigating the abandonment of my dad, but still just as powerful in terms of problem solving, in terms of cooperation, in terms of social skills development, that stuff's in there too. That's the thing about Dungeons and Dragons is a great story. And like all great stories, there's a conflict of interest and a questioning of morality, right? That's what stories really come down to at the end of the day, right? And so you're always working with ethics and morality in the game anyway. So it becomes a really good place to work with kids in that. So even if you're just a parent and you want to play a great game and teach your kids some good morals and see how they're going to land and make good decisions, this is a really great way to do that. There's even a core part of the game that aims itself directly at morality, which is called alignment, where there's nine total alignments across two axes. One axis is good or evil, and the other axis is is lawful or chaotic. And in the middle of that, there's neutral, right? Those are sort of your your nine alignments, and I'll, I'll rattle them off real quick just so people hear them. Lawful good, lawful neutral, lawful evil, neutral good, true neutral, neutral evil, chaotic good, chaotic neutral, chaotic evil. Those nine alignments really cover a lot of ground. In terms of morality, do you tend to lean into the rules and laws matter? Or do you tend to be like, no, rules and laws are stupid and they're sort of made to be challenged? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Are you mostly all about helping people? Are you comfortable hurting people? Or are you somewhere in the middle where you're like, sometimes you help people, sometimes you hurt people, it kind of depends. And interesting enough, because we're in the uh, ADHD podcast, right? I got to bring it up that a lot of my kids that are with diagnosis at my table choose chaotic. Of course they do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bar none, that's the number one. They're like, oh, I'm chaotic. Right. (laughs) You know, and now they choose chaotic neutral um, and chaotic good. A lot of them are chaotic good. And I, I would be willing to bet that the ones that struggle with rejection the most probably tend to pick lawful because your people pleasers tend to be more lawful in how they approach stuff. Yeah. Yeah which might make them want to play chaotic in the game so they can try that out and wear that hat. That's possible. I find a, a lot of times my kids in the spectrum um, tend to choose the lawful. Yeah, that makes sense. The boys in the spectrum tend to choose the lawful and then the kids with the ADHD tend to choose the chaotic. And then my social skills kids, the kids that are out there that are there with like, like panic disorders and anxieties, they tend to choose um, more in the neutral territory. That's interesting. I think they often, they'll come to me and they'll tell me they feel like they're evil. 
just because it's the anxiety. I don't like these people. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, am I bad? Because I don't, they set off my panic attack and then, you know, I don't want to be around them, right? I have the social anxiety problem. Yeah. Like, no, it doesn't make you evil. It's, you know, you're, you, you have a problem adjusting to other people being around you. And since they're a point of discomfort, of course, you're going to push and want to be away. That doesn't necessarily make you in the evil camp. Yeah. So we'll have a talk about that. And um, it's, I think the kind of veered off, the best one I've ever seen is they almost all the kids look at lawful evil as the most, they get the strangest looks to me. What do you mean? Like, that's always the one that when I'm explaining uh, alignment, they'll be like, lawful evil? And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, that that exists. And they're like, that exists? And I'm like, oh, 100%. Lawful evil is a real thing because you can follow all the rules and still be a really bad person. To me, sort of my own personal bias, that's the most evil. Like, that's the granddaddy of the evils. Because it's so sort of sneaky and because it's so invasive and it's like no i follow all the rules but i'm out to get mine and i'm happy to screw you over and hurt you kill you take advantage of you doesn't matter but i'm never going to be at fault yeah to me that's much more disturbing i tend to agree with you um although i think the leaning in the game is that chaotic evil is the worst because you don't know where it's coming from like like there are no rules you don't know how it's going to get you but i've always viewed that chaotic evil it it doesn't have the hypocrisy <laughs> mm-hmm. And it feels more like just evil's its nature. I also, at least in, in the way that I run the games and the way the stories I tend to tell, like chaotic evil just isn't as effective because it can't operate in the larger society. So it's only going to get so far. But someone who can operate within the larger society can get much further. Yeah. My villains tend to be either neutral evil or lawful evil. And then the chaotic evil stuff is just sort of like a random element of destruction. And then we move on. So one of the things that, that you talk about is D&D, but kind of to the side of it, supporting it, is the idea of play therapy. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Most of what's happening when I sit down at the table to play with kids is, is this stuff already exists in, in therapy. So play therapy is something that is already out there. And that's the idea that if you just sit down with the kid and you play a game or you color with them, you're going to get a little bit further into their world and you're going to get some interpreted you know, some, some behavior you can interpret and assess and see a little bit what's going on. That's been around from the beginning. Freud's daughter uh, was one of the main contributors to it, actually. So it's been around the whole time. We'll just put it that way. So play therapy is a very strong system that's always been there, and this is just another form of it. So I'm using all the techniques that come out of play therapy, as well as what's called psychodynamic therapy, which is acting. You're going to act out the feelings. You're going to act out psychodrama. So you're going to act out the drama of the event um, in order to get past it. Mm-hmm. So that happens in Dungeons and Dragons too, because we're, we're acting out you talking to that bully and telling that bully to not pick on that poor farming family. That orc that's, you know, was threatening them and he was going to eat their horse and blah, blah, blah. Suddenly the kids are working out that dialogue and telling him that, you know, hit bricks. I'm a hero. This isn't going to happen. You shouldn't do this to these poor people. And so you get to kind of act out that story arc. And it doesn't have to lead to a fight. No. It can be negotiated verbally. Yeah. I mean, they could find out that 
very easily if they in, if they investigated it and they're like, well, why are you doing this? And he's going to be like, well, this is what you know, this is what we do. But really, it's because I got little kid orcs up in those hills and they're starving. And the villagers won't let us have farmland because we're orcs and they just say we're evil. So it's not like we can become farmers and no one wants us anywhere. So we're stuck being wanderers. What else are we going to do? We, we have to survive. And so then it's like, oh, well, maybe we can work something out, you know, and I've had I've had it to where the kids are like, well, look at the farmer and be like, well, what what do you need from them? Like, what could they give you? And they're like, well, they hunt all the time. They could bring us, you know, some of the deer from the forest. And we have ant kegs that attack our crops. The non keg is a giant bug, listeners. So they have ant kegs every spring that attack our farm fields. And if the orcs could come down from the hills and get rid of the ant kegs, we'd have so much extra food we could give to the orcs that then they wouldn't have to come down and, you know, basically run a protection racket. That's going beyond just even interpersonal skills and sort of self-understanding and self-knowledge. Now we're going into like social systems and social dynamics and sociology stuff. Absolutely. Because there, that stuff exists in the real world. That's a thing that happens out and about in your town, potentially. There's a situation, something similar to that, or at school. One of the best ones, uh, one of the best sessions I ever had uh, with my main group is they saved a town and basically the, the town's been abandoned for years and they got rid of the curse and here's this like empty town and half the buildings are in good shape and all this stuff. And so they, they're like, well, we want to, we want to invite people here. We want to save this town. And so the next five games, we like wrote a, a town charter and yeah, yeah. That's we cool. They, they, I gave them the assignments. They went home. They looked up different like governmental rule systems. They came back. They debated it. They wrote a whole town charter. They got people in from, from adventures they'd been on when they'd saved the little farm family, but their house had been burnt down. Um, they went and found the, the group of uh, goblins that were actually good that were in the woods hiding from everyone and hiding from the other goblins because all the rest of the goblins are evil. And so they, they brought in all these story elements they'd had in the past and like filled it with these people and then put these people on the council for the town and actually were like well we want we want old man cohen to be uh the town mayor because they've trusted old man cohen the most and so i'm like okay great so that was like one of the best games and the kids like absolutely turn back to that game all the time and they're like remember that one time we put the town together that's rad that's really cool yeah and that that's an also an awesome storyline for kids i'm imagining sort of middle school probably yeah is the is the group that's going to be doing that because that's totally a middle school plot but that's another thing to think about when you're telling these stories is like what how old are the kids and what are they going to be into i ran my my boys in a game when they were like seven i think and the whole storyline was just a blue jay came flying over to one of them one of them could talk to small animals the blue jay was like a bunch of goblins just stole my house and my babies. And so they went off to find this blue jay's nest. And that was the whole story. It was just like some goblins uprooted a blueberry bush and brought it. The goblins worked for a giant. There's a group of giants that think that the real world is a dream. Okay. They live underground, stone giants. And so I was like, well, how about this? Like the stone giant guy is sort of obsessed with the color blue because of the blue sky. And that's dreaming. So like blue to him is a dream thing. So 
the goblins were stealing blueberry bushes because they knew he would like that. They're uprooting them and bringing them and planting them over by his cave. And there happened to be a blue jay nest in this bush. That was the whole storyline was just, and all they did was sneak in and take the nest out. They didn't fight anybody. They just snuck in, grabbed the nest out of the bush and brought it back to where they lived and put it in a bush near their house because they were seven. And that was how they wanted to do it. And that's, that's one of the things that's great about D&D is you could run that same plot with a group of adults and they'll just run in and slaughter <laughs> all of the goblins and take down the hill giant. And, and it sort of teaches you like that. That's not the necessarily the best way to solve this problem. Go in and talk to the goblins and say, hey, I just want that bush or sneak in and, and grab it out from underneath their nose. But there's always more than one way to solve a problem. It's neat to see how people play now compared to when I was younger. There's so much more negotiation and uh, so much more looking for, for other ways to solve the problems. Uh, I think when I was younger, we would have just always almost fought. But I think what's happened is, is, is its roots of the game are out of a, a battle game system, right? It, right? it came from a battle game system. So it was kind of geared in that direction. Uh, but we've had so much time to play with the game over the years that now the game's transformed. And the game's not only has it transformed, but it's transformed back and forth between its interaction with video games and storylines that we see coming out of Hollywood that like everything's pushed against everything's boundaries. And, yeah. and it's really all just expanded over the years. Like, and once you like, like I, I meet people all the time that they've never been in the D and D world. And once they start getting in the D and D world, they're like, I can't believe how big of an effect this had on all this other cultural stuff that I've been consuming my whole life. Yeah. One of my favorite moments was going to see uh, the Fellowship of the Ring in the movie theater. And like there, that whole Minds of Mordor bit, like that's D&D. Like that felt so much like D&D to me. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, it's a snake eating its own tail. Like this is <laughs> the Lord of the Rings books, which influenced Dungeons and Dragons into creation. And then Dungeons and Dragons influenced the Lord of the Rings movie. Right. You could tell. You just want, the whole thing is like nothing but D&D, except that it's, root, it's also the roots of D&D at the same time. It just permeates everything. Yeah. The therapy in the game is already almost baked into the point to where I don't, I don't have to try to like stick it down the kids' throats while they're at my table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'm there. I'm facilitating the game, but I'm, I'm facilitating their behaviors, and I'm letting them learn and what, what's in group therapy already would be called scaffolding. So you have a kid that's maybe able to perform the duties or the job already, teaching the other kids how to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's scaffolding. But I, I can also scaffold in the game by using a non-playing character. So dungeon masters tend to use non-playing characters shorthand as NPC. Non-playing characters are awesome for me as a therapist because I can go in and portray all these different behaviors that I want the kids to see and look at. And then either they can help that character or they can just learn from it or they can see that character develop and grow and see ways that they could change themselves. And the non-player character is literally every other character in the game except for the ones that the players are playing. So if you have six players... Every character that isn't one of those six players is being run by the dungeon master. And as the DM, you have to be able to wear all these different hats and take on all these different personas and be like Slappy the bait shop guy and also Charlie the farmer and Maggie the blacksmith and 
Gertrude, the glass blower. Like you've got to be able to be all those people. On my Wednesday night games, that's my long running game. Uh, and it's Boogers the Goblin. And he's been around with them forever. They got him in like the first main adventure. And um, Boogers has anxiety. Uh, he has a little post-traumatic stress. He was a slave to some bugbears. Bugbears are really nasty, lazy creatures that like threaten and bully goblins into doing all their work for them. That's just what they do. And so Boogers, he's got a little goblin voice and he's really scared of stuff. And <laughs> the bugbears are really mean. And they put the socks on my head and then make me do the chores and it was super stinky and I hate it. So they, the kids instantly gravitate toward loving Boogers right then, you know? Yep. Um, and then I can portray Boogers having anxiety and panic attacks. Like that's something that he used to normally do all the time. And the kids used to teach Boogers coping skills to help Boogers out. And so like, instead of me having to be like, well, what's coping skills do you guys know? All I had to do was have Boogers have a panic attack uh, because it's a dragon. I mean, it's a dragon, right? And so you right. got Boogers. It's a dragon. It's gonna eat. It's all gonna die. It's gonna die. I can't breathe. My chest. And and they're like, okay, Boogers, you can breathe. Let's breathe together. Big breaths. You know, and they're like jumping in and, and be like, you know, when I when I get scared, I, I like to count to 10 with my eyes closed and really visualize the numbers. It's like every kid <laughs> had their own coping skill to help Boogers because, oh, my God, you know, he's in trouble. We got to help Boogers. Um, in that village I was talking about that they saved, the, the curse on that place was that goblins had gone there and attacked it and had killed the people. And the last two people alive in the building basically swore their soul to uh, the god of murder, right? And undeath. So Merkel, um, he's one of the gods of death. He's actually Ball's buddy. Mm -hmm. uh, to raise the dead, to kill goblins, and to keep the town safe. And so other people would go to the town and see the dead walking around, and they're like, "That absolutely not this place. <laughs> <laughs> we're not coming here. We're out. But goblins and ogres and orcs were like, this place is cursed. And, and every time we go there, the dead attack us. And so like, while they were fighting the dead, boogers had an existential crisis and like freaked out. And they came over to boogers and they're like, what's wrong? You weren't fighting with us. You, you know, normally he would fight with them and help them. And, you know, cause they saved him. So, so he felt beholden to the party and right. he, tried to make sure they were safe and he did everything he could. He's like a little servant mascots. Part of that, that PTSD stuff. Like he's right? being a slave. So now he's acting like their servant because PTSD. Yeah. I'm right. Like so yeah, exactly. So they ask him and he's like, he's like, Booker's is bad. And, 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 and I'm, and I'm good, but that makes me bad. And I'm not good, but I'm bad. And they're like, they're like, you're not making any sense, buddy. Like, what are you saying? And he's like, he points to the curse on the wall and he's like, he's like, that's me. They cursed me because my people killed them, killed them all. And I'm I'm bad because I'm supposed to be a goblin and goblin does bad things like this. But now I'm not bad and I'm being a hero. And that makes me bad because I'm not a goblin. Wow. That, there's a lot in there. There is. And the kids like kind of teared up and they're like, you don't have to have the sins of your father. Like that was what one of the kids said. Wow. Yeah. And they started like walking boogers through this concept that he was free to choose his own path. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. And I get to do it all with this like silly little dorky NPC. Right. 
And the kids, like, oh, God, it was great. After that, like, anything with boogers, they love. And I got to get away with, like, doing these over-the-top dramatic scenarios because that was literally one of the kids. I, I planned that all because one of the kids was having a lot of problems with the idea that he, his father was very aggressive and his parents had separated and he was starting to be very aggressive too. And he was feeling like that was just going to happen to him. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, well, I'll see what happens. If I put this in here with boogers, what would he say? And one of the other kids said that, and then he just stepped right in and he was like, no, you can, you can make your own choice. And it like, after the game, he walked up and was like, that was the best game ever. And so, yeah, you can tailor the game to what you want to do with them. And you can use these non-playing characters to portray behaviors that you know they're having or that you know they need help with, you know, or that you just want to see what they know. Like, if I start displaying panic attack, will they know any good coping strategies, right? Mm -hmm. I have this one. He's, he's a baby giant, baby hill giant. Like, he's a toddler. But he's a hill giant, so he's like nine foot tall, man. <laughs> this is not cool. And like they're they got stuck with them because they found him in the woods and they're like trying to find his parents, right? And he would just have these toddler meltdown fits and just start wrecking stuff uh as they're like taking him <laughs> around. They had to like make rules for this toddler and help him calm down and like, you know, come up with behavioral management skills for him. And it was just because one of the kids was having a problem with his anger. And he never picked up that it was for him. And he had a lot of fun with that character in that story arc. And the mom started texting me like a few days later. And she's like, I don't know what happened in the last game, but he's been a different kid. That's great. Yeah. So you can, you can model and do the scaffolding, encourage or show the behaviors and allow them the chance to learn them with help. And so you can kind of scaffold in the game very easily. Honestly, it's almost easier to do it that way than to do a formal, you know, worksheet on on behavioral group therapy. It's easier to run the game. Well, it depersonalizes it too, right? Like it because of the fact that they're playing a character who isn't them. That's going to depersonalize the experience and make it easier to accept the lesson and the teachings that are hiding inside of it and maybe not even notice that you're learning these lessons and picking up these skills or perspectives because it's not so direct it gets around some of the defensiveness as a result. No one at the table has to know if that has anything to do with you. So even if they pick up on it themselves, they're just like, okay, you know, but this isn't like I'm sitting around a group of seven other kids that all have anger management. We're all here because we have anger management. And now I got to talk about me. You know, that isn't happening. We're all just talking about our character and, you know, what Bluto the barbarian, <laughs> how he handles this scenario, right? And so it does aid the kids in that distinction and that it, it is decentralized from them. Do you play at all with the sort of the persona nature of D&D where you're playing a character, you're kind of taking on a persona that is probably a little bit of a piece of you, depending on what you're doing, but isn't you. And that's a tool that you can use later, right? Like the going back to the kids standing up to the bullies, maybe you wouldn't do that, but can you be your character? in that scenario at school, even though we're not playing D&D, can you sort of wear your character for a minute or two and navigate those bullies in a different way? Is that in there anywhere with what you do? I'll talk to them about that. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll discuss narrative therapy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's just another form of therapy where, you know, just because some people get a pattern that they think 
that's the story of their life. You hear that? This is the story of my life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, narrative therapy is, well, then that's the story. Why don't you just change it? Right. And, you know, you can rewrite who you are. You can rewrite what the ending in that scenario has to be. You can change how that works. So in, in D&D, you can do that very, very easily. And so I'll talk to them about like, well, you know, like one of the first homework assignments I usually send to them is like, what's a character trait you have in common with your character? Mm-hmm. You know, and what's something if you met your character, you you would like them to help you with? What's something about you you would like your character to help you with? Um, do you think you and your character share some of the same problems? You know, so I'll ask them those questions. And the next time they come and they talk to me, I'll talk to them about that. And so normally that, that's like my break is like, I don't see all my kids one-on-one, but the kids I see one-on-one and I play D&D with, it's, it is 10 times the therapy in one hour than a kid that I don't play D&D with and do one-on-ones because there's just so much dialogue and there's just so much we can work with using that narrative, using the idea of narrative therapy. And like half of them, because now I'm starting to just almost become a nerd therapist. <laughs> That's like my shtick now. I'm a geek, right? I get these kids that are all comic book nerds and we talk like that. And parents will just be like, I don't even know what the two of you are talking about. One kid I was with today, I was like, you need to let less of the Wolverine out and you need to be more of Flash. You know, I need to see a little bit more of Flash coming out of you. And he's like, I'm not really Wolverine. He's like, it's more like Oliver Queen and I'm being too edgy. And so (laughs) (laughs) that's Green Arrow, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know. Yeah. The kid might have been having issues with going from Marvel to DC. There might have been a challenge there for him. A little too much cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Yeah. But But he was there with me. You know, he's like, nah, not, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not being as much as as Wolverine, but I'm over here and I'm being a little more like Oliver Queen. (laughs) So we talked about, me and him talk a lot about storyline because he tends to stick himself in scenarios. And I'm like, I think if you were a little bit, you know, more like this hero, or you thought a little bit more like that hero, that you would be able to uh, get yourself through this scenario a little bit better. And he would sit there and be like, yeah, you're right. It's like, I could, you know, next time I'm in that scenario, I'm going to be Peter Parker. That's Spider-Man, guys. You, you got to know that one. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty basic, right? So, yeah. So I, I have these kids that enjoy it. Um, and I use that narrative therapy concept a lot that you can be this other thing. And my, my kids that play in like more than one game with me, because I actually have some that they come to almost every game. Um, when they came to their second game, they purposely walked up and asked me. They were like, I want to play somebody that's so not like me. They're like, I, I you know, that last character, I thought it was totally different than who I was, but I kept playing it. And I was like, this is a lot like me. And they're like, and this time I want, I want to make a character that's nothing like who I am. Mm-hmm. And so we specifically sat down and designed a character that would just be pushing all the boundaries of who they were the whole time. And so they would have to act past their normal behavior. And he's been having that one, he's been having a great time at that. And the other kid played it for a while. And he was like, this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I need to bring it back a minute. And so we were able to negotiate his character back a little bit from there. But he he's on the spectrum and it's a lot. He chose to even go so far as to play a bard. And a bard is an actor. They are entertainer. They're a troubadour, right? And so he had to like, go from being the kid that's in the back that doesn't speak much to being like the life of the party all the time. 
he's he did it really well but he was like this is a lot <laughs> <laughs> so he backed it down a little bit and uh chose to play instruments so now he he he's still a bard but he plays instruments and he's still kind of over the top and he will act when he wants to but it gives him the safety of being like no i'm just gonna play my lute right now that's cool yeah just being mindful of time do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience any kids you're sitting there with the hardest thing for them to do is to play with the game because it takes a while so go on amazon buy a 15 bag of random fidgets and just at the beginning of the game, drop them right on the table and be like, go. Don't expect them to sit there and, and muddle through the whole game. Let them have a fidget. It's totally cool. Go ahead out there in the world. You can go to Target now and pick up the new starter kit for Dungeons and Dragons. It's like 20 some odd bucks. It is more adventure time than you could ever imagine in a little cheap box. Uh, you could go into any of your local gaming shops and pick up a game, pick up the starter set there. The starter sets are really great. Uh, they they have a whole scenario. They have a bunch of characters, and give it a try. You know, uh, the other thing I want to make sure that I say before I leave is, it is not the '90s, folks. Uh, Satanic Panic's over. D&D is really fun and really cool, and there there's no real magic. The whole point and the bad stuff being there is because you're going to crush it and send it back to its evil domain right so you're going to get control over the bad so go ahead and give it a try hey you're still here nice thanks for staying focused all the way through if you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com and don't forget to check out the website ADHDessentials.com and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.